Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 1st, 2023. It is currently 9.09 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. When good men disagree about doctrine, it is usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. When good men disagree about doctrine, it is usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. Now, if we were to look up the the definition of the word premise, if we were to look up that definition, premise means a, uh, a previous statement or proposition from which another is inferred or follows as a conclusion, right? So what is your premise? Now, so let's, let's go through this. When good men disagree, right, about doctrine, it is usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. Now, a premise is, let me pull it up again, a previous statement or proposition from which another is inferred or follows as a conclusion. So when it comes to Christianity, when it comes, you can have two people, we strongly disagree on something. So what a lot of times what we do is we're arguing about the thing we're disagreeing about, right? You're like, no, it's this. No, it's this. No, it's this. But you have to stop and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is your premise? In other words, we have to go to what comes before because there's something that comes before your interpretation or your understanding of that doctrine. And and we're, we can fight over the doctrine, but we've got to figure out what our fundamental premise is. That thing that comes before. Because the thing that comes before drives the the conclusion, drives the interpretation. So we we fight. Like you give your interpretation, I give my interpretation. You give your reasons, you try to justify it. You quote your scripture, I quote my scripture. We go back and forth. No one any no one gets anywhere. So you have to stop and go. No 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 no. What is the premise? What is the premise? So I believe this is just my kind of high, my, my hypotheses, my thesis, my, my belief is that when it comes to Christianity and all of the arguing and fighting, it can be fighting over this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine. Or this doctrine. You have the, the, the issue always is the fundamental premise is, and the thing that the reason there's so many of these fights 
It's because the real premise is the hermeneutic being used. The hermeneutic that is being used. What is your hermeneutical method? What is your hermeneutical system? Because that hermeneutical system is the system you're utilizing, whether you have it defined, whether you even know what hermeneutics are. There are principles and ideas you are using that lays the foundation for, and and that's your premise. So then based off your system of hermeneutics, you're arriving at this conclusion. Based off my premise, my hermeneutical system, I'm arriving at a different premise and we will never come to any conclusion because we're using a different premise. Different premise will come to different conclusions and they will never be able to be fixed. Let me continue with this um, quote. When good men disagree about doctrine, it is usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. Perfect logic when built on divergent premises will usually result in irreconcilable conclusions. Let me read that all together. When good men disagree about doctrine, it is usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. Perfect logic, when built on divergent premises, will usually result in irreconcilable conclusions. The reason there are so many irreconcilable conclusions within Christianity is because we have divergent premises. And that divergent premise, when you boil it down, is what is your system of hermeneutics? Now, so many Christians arguing over theology can't really articulate. They cannot necessarily define to you their hermeneutical premise, their, their hermeneutical system, which is their premise that they're operating from. They really don't know. So in many cases, they're using a contradictory, convoluted hermeneutical mess because they don't really know a hermeneutical system. They're just like, well, I read my Bible and this is how I interpret it. Well, that's, that's of no value. You, you've got it. You're, you're using some kind of principle. What is, and sometimes they'll say, well, my principle is this. But then five minutes later, you're like, well, you're contradicting the premise because they've never thought it out. So every Christian needs to be able to articulate and define, here is my hermeneutical system. Here's my hermeneutical philosophy. Here's my hermeneutical idea that I'm using because that's that really is the premise from which you're operating from. And that premise is going to lead to conclusions. So let me say it again. When good men disagree about doctrine, it's usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. Perfect logic, when built on divergent premises, will usually result in irreconcilable conclusions. Let me give you an example. A lot of the times when I get into an argument about someone over, quote unquote, lordship versus easy believism, or they accuse someone of being an antinomian, whatever the case may be, what they don't understand is they're arguing with me, trying to place me in some kind of philological camp, but they don't ever bother to ask what is my underlining premise. My underlying premise is I believe the correct way to handle scripture, at least one major fundamental hermeneutical principle of mine, is a proper distinction between law and gospel. 
And that law passages have a specific, there's a specific character to them. They tell you what you have to do and what you must do and, and all, and all it's, it's, you know, telling you what to do versus gospel passages, which tells me what Christ has done and law passages condemn. They don't save. They don't, they just condemn and drive you to what will save you is the gospel. And so this, this challenges. So if we're having a fundamental argument over possible lordship versus, you know, non-lordship, however, whatever category, whatever theological framework you want to assign that, that's not the real issue. The real issue is the premise that I'm basing it off of, which is law and gospel. Now, if you don't truly understand a proper distinction between law and gospel, and then we're arguing over No, I'm against lordship. And then you quote scripture that you think supports it. And I quote scripture. We're not going to get anywhere because we have a different premise. So let me read this to you again. When good men disagree about doctrine, it is usually due to a fundamental difference difference in premise. Perfect logic, when built on divergent premises, will usually result in irreconcilable conclusions. Now, this is from a book called Dispensationalism, and I love that they start there, right? Because, hey, we don't agree because we have a different premise. Now, the premise is your hermeneutical system. Now, I say all of that because we are about to review some audio that's going to give us a, a at least one premise that some people use, and that is the literal interpretation of Scripture, The literal interpretation of scripture. Now, if that is your premise, every doctrinal conclusion you come to, every doctrine you hold to is going to be flowing from this fundamental premise, which is you interpret scripture literally. If someone has a different approach, maybe a more allegorical approach, right? Well, then they're going to come to completely different conclusions. Now, how do they come to different conclusions? You have divergent premises, And therefore, you're going to have irreconcilable conclusions. This is absolutely essential. So we are going to listen to this and we're we're not going to probably be able to finish it. But but I, I, I cannot stress to you how important this is. For, so I, I always see Christians arguing and fighting over some doctrinal dispute. And sometimes I just want to say, could you guys stop? What, what is your premise? And what are you talking about? You have to have a hermeneutical system. If you two don't agree on your hermeneutical systems, you're going to come to irreconcilable conclusions because you're coming from divergent premises. It, you, it's everything, all the debate about eschatology. It's a hermeneutical issue. All the debates about soteriology, typically it's a hermeneutical issue. All the debates about lordship, non-lordship, it's a hermeneutical issue. I cannot stress that enough. Now, here's what we're doing. About two hours ago, pretty close to two hours ago, maybe two hours and 15 minutes ago, I was live on the air and I told you on the Sermons 2.0 app, First, I told you, you need to download the Sermons 2.0 app. And I tell you, there's, you know, I'm, I'm always mentioning the Sermons 2.0 app and all of the content that is there. But because there's so much content, there's a lot of things that can be missed. So I told you to download the Sermons 2.0 app. And I told you to go to do a search for Shining Light Independent Baptist Church. Shining Light Independent Baptist Church. 
all right? Shining Light Independent Baptist Church. Once you get there, make sure you follow. They have 227 sermons. This is coming uh, from a uh, from Australia, I believe, it, somewhere near Australia. I think it's Australia. Yeah, it's Australia, all right? It's Australia. And um, they have 227 sermons, and you'll notice they have two series. One series is Bible Institute Block Training. Bible Institute block training. The other one is dispensation through the Bible. I, I want everyone to start listening to both of those series. And then we here on the Theology Central podcast, we're going to begin our own study. Probably, I don't know, maybe within a month. I don't know when on dispensationalism, the history of it, the principles of it, because dispensationalism is one of those premises, right? It's one of those hermeneutical systems. And if you're coming at the scriptures from a dispensational point of view, and that's your system of interpretation, you're going to come to a, a, a different conclusions than someone using a different premise. And so you're going to end up with divergent premises, irreconcilable conclusions, and then if you argue, you're never going to see eye to eye because you're using different premises, all right? But please look up, again, let me go back to them, Shining Light Independent Baptist Church. Follow them on the Sermons 2.0 app, and then look for the two series, Bible Institute Block Training and Dispensation Through the Bible. Now, if you go to Bible Institute Block Training and you go all the way down, you're going to see session one is entitled Literal Interpretation of the Bible. Literal Interpretation of the Bible. Now, literal interpretation of the Bible, some would say is a hallmark of dispensationalism, that one of the key elements of dispensationalism is you interpret scripture literally. Well, let's listen to them give a a lesson on literal interpretation of the Bible. We will review it. We're not going to be able to finish all of it. It's a 40-something minute message. You know these reviews take forever. But I'm going to go until I feel like I need to stop, and then we'll pick it up tomorrow. Sounds good? We're going to make this a priority until we are finished. Now, I've fast-forwarded, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes into this. He gives a lot of introductory material. He talks about their reading Bible plan. He talks about himself. Please go and listen to all of it, but we're I'm, it's going to kind of, it's going to just... We're going to kind of jump in. It's going to be a little abrupt. The audio is not great. It feels like the microphone is, um, he's not, it doesn't feel like he's wearing a lapel mic, that he's got a mic somewhere, and I don't know where the mic is, but it's very echoey. It's like, it's like if I was to stand, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to give you an idea what it's going to sound like. Okay. I'm sitting here in front of my podcasting microphone. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to stand back here. So tonight, we're going to be talking about Bible interpretation. All right. Did you see how that echoey sound? Because I'm so far from the microphone. That's what it sounds like to me. So, but I'm going to, I've got the volume cranked. And uh, hopefully, 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 it will be beneficial. All right. And this is just to give you an example of a premise, a fundamental foundational premise that, that, and he's saying you need to use this form of interpretation. Now, if someone uses, if someone varies at all, if they differ at all from this, this method of interpretation, then you've got divergent premises and you're going to end up with, ladies and gentlemen, irreconcilable differences, completely divergent conclusions that are irreconcilable because you're coming from two different premises. And I wish Christians would understand that. But a lot of times Christians, when they want to argue with you, 
They don't want to stop and go back to this. Yeah, you, you know, I, oh, so it's, sometimes it's maddening. Sometimes it's maddening. Uh, some of the differences and arguments that happen in church and people get mad and they leave. And it, it's just, it's so sad because sometimes you're just like, can we figure out what our premise is? Can we, can we see, can we, can we consider this? Can we think it through? But, you know, it's, it's just, just, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's a whole different podcast. Are you ready? But here we go. We're going to jump into this. I'm hoping this goes well. I'm hoping. And uh, now remember, here are the rules. I don't listen to something first, right? So I've only listened to like just the beginning of this. So I've already fast forwarded past the part I've heard. So everything at this point, we're listening to it together in real time. I told you to look this up and start listening to it. So this is a good way, hopefully, to get you started and you'll keep, maybe you'll stay up all night and just listen to all of it, all right? If you do, take very, 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 very good notes, all right? But we'll see how far we can go. Uh, we've already spent 15 minutes in our introduction, but I think that pr- principle I gave you is really good. You should be writing that down. Again, that's a from a book. Uh, that quote that I gave you is from a book called Dispensationalism, and it is, um, who's the author of this book? Hang on. See if I can get back to it. By Lewis Sperry Schaefer, I believe is his name. Um, I believe his is his name. And it's called Dispensationalism. All right. Uh, but yeah, here we go. And uh, do I, can I get, yeah, I was going to look for, uh, yeah, Schaefer, C-H-A-F-E-R, Lewis Sperry Schaefer, I believe is uh, his full name. I don't have the full name in front of me, but there you go. It's called Dispensationalism. I got it for my Kindle. I think it was like free or 99 cents, but um, there we go. And let me read it to you again. When good men disagree about doctrine, it is uh, it is usually due to a fundamental difference in premise. Perfect logic, when built on divergent premises, will usually result in irreconcilable conclusions. And that's that's a goal. That's that's right there. That's worth. I don't know. That's worth something to. That should be worth something to you. All right. That, that's a valuable quote, whether you understand it or not. All right. Here we go. Let's listen to this. And so here is a measurable way of knowing what you've read, keeping a record of what you've read. Tick it off, put a hyphen through it, or diagonally cross it out left and uh, right, or even put an X around it. And you can use this three or four times, so that would last you three or four readings of the Word of God. So it's important to read the Word of God, and I'll tell you why. Now what he's doing there, they've got a reading chart for their Bible Institute, And they're saying, you know, you can use this chart to go through the Bible. I think it's every four months or maybe six months. And then you can, you can cross it out one way, cross it another way, then you can circle it. So the one chart can be used like four times through it. And he's going to tell you why reading is so, why reading the scripture is so important. He's going to do this. Now, remember, he's getting ready to get into how do you interpret the Bible, but he's now starting off why reading it is so important. Let's see why he tells us reading is so important. In just a moment, because the Lord Jesus stressed the importance of reading the Word of God. In fact, the Lord Jesus uh, said so many times, have you never read in the Scriptures? So we want to look at the importance of that. But let's pray. So, Father, help us today as we open the Word of God, open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to uh, the literal interpretation of Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking at this today, I want you to understand what we're looking at is 
the literal interpretation of Scripture. Now, there are two basic lines of interpretation, the literal line and the allegorical line, which is sometimes called spiritualizing the Scripture. Now, spiritualizing or allegorizing the Scripture can lead to error. And, of course, uh, we've got so many denominations and so many cults around today because so many of them have rejected the literal interpretation of Scripture and they've adopted uh, an interpretation called allegorization or spiritualization. Now, let's stop right here. Now, there are two basic systems, I agree, literal allegorizing of Scripture or the spiritualizing of Scripture. I do agree there are two basic lines of of hermeneutical methods. Now, that is true from a purely academic standpoint. From a purely academic standpoint, you've got the literal, you've got the allegorization, allegorizing, the allegorical method. You've got the literal method, and then we'll call it the allegorical method, right? Or the spiritual method, however you would name so. I think that's very true from an academic perspective. However, when you get to the pew, when you get to the average Christian, the average layperson, most likely, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, most of them have never even read a book on biblical hermeneutics. They've never taken a class on biblical hermeneutics. They don't even know the history of hermeneutics. But they will then immediately tell you, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, this is the right way, this is the right way. They will argue with you. They really, in many cases, are not willing to do the work. This is one of the most frustrating things about, you can go You can go to Bible college, you can go to this Bible college, this Bible college, this seminary, this seminary, and you can get education, 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 and someone without any education will come to you and say, you're wrong. You're wrong. Now, why do they disagree? We've got divergent conclusions that are irreconcilable because we're operating from a different premise. Now, I can say, well, I'm using this hermeneutical method. Most likely, the person in the pew, they don't even know how to identify or classify their hermeneutical method. And in many cases, it's not even a coherent, consistent system because it's never been thought out. They read and then who knows what they're doing with it? Who knows? Who knows what they're doing with it? Sometimes it's very literal. Sometimes it may be literal in a way that's detrimental to the true meaning of the text. Sometimes it may be allegorizing or spiritualizing when in many cases it's detrimental to the text. The issue is you can have one of these systems, but when it gets to the people in the pew, they kind of just, they kind of, I hate to say it, they wing it. They just, I don't know what they do. Next thing you know, they're quoting, you know, uh, Jeremiah, was it 29? I know the plans I have for you to bless you. And you're like, and they're quoting it at a high school graduation. And you're like, what in the world are you? That's for people coming out of Babylonian captivity. And then they're quoting this or they're, or you're, they're getting ready to run a marathon and they're quoting, I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. I'm like, that has nothing to do with running a marathon. What are you talking about? Over and over and over, you see this nonsense and it, and it, and it's, happening because they're just it's just a made up hermeneutical system their premise is just kind of made up now when you say that to someone they get really offended but sometimes you're kind of like so what hermeneutical system are you utilizing here because you're utilizing a hermeneutical argument here but you're not using that same hermeneutical system in genesis 1 1 or genesis 1 or genesis chapter 2 so why are you doing that and they, and they, and, and typically the layperson won't just stop and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to really identify 
my premise. Now, he said the allegorical is dangerous and can lead to, to false teaching. Now, let's just be very fair here. The literal and the allegorical can still lead to false teaching because what happens, you can have the method, but then we come along and then we utilize that method. And once we take over, we we can take that method to go into crazy directions. There are people who have taken a very literal method and ended up in heresy. There are people taking a very allegorical method and then ended up in heresy. So no method is a guarantee that you'll never have heresy. The, the methods give you a good foundation, but it takes, how can we say it? It's, it's almost like an art. It's an art of learning how to utilize these. These systems give you the guidelines. These, these hermeneutical principles give you guidelines, but we have sinful natures that get involved. Sometimes we can take the best principles and because we get involved, we'll manipulate them to, to our own good, to excuse sin or to, or use it as a weapon to hurt other people. So, but, but I do believe the allegorical method is dangerous, and I do believe it can be very detrimental to a correct understanding of Scripture. So, obviously, but we'll we'll see how what he does with this. Of the Scripture, well, one of the things you'll find that you were given, and it's listed in your uh, workbook, is this little chart here. Three groups of people taught in the Scriptures, and they are, of course, the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God, found in First Corinthians chapter ten. And verse 32. Let's just have a read of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. The Apostle Paul made note of this. It's something we need to remember too. That as you read the Word of God, three groups of people are, are spoken of in the Scriptures. The Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. Now this is very important. It, it may not, this may not be of any significance to you right now. Now if you know anything about dispensationalism, you know anything maybe, um, uh, versus say dispensationalism, maybe versus an amillennial view of things or, or an allegorical approach, th- this, this verse comes into play and there, and, and there could lead to lots of debate. But let me read it. First Corinthians 10, he's going to read it on, um, in a minute, but let me read it first. Give none offense neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile nor to the church of God. Now, if we keep that literal, and then the Jews are literal, Gentiles are literal, Church of God is literal. Now, how? what do we do with the, keeping these distinct? What ways, what do they have in common? What do they have different? But we'll see what he's going to do with this. But this verse becomes very important because a lot of people believe the church basically replaced the Jews, right? Israel was basically replaced by the church. This gets into, again, lots of different issues dealing with eschatology and your fundamental premise and how you interpret scripture. Some would say, well, see, this keeps the Jews and the church separate, but aren't there Jews and the church? Okay, right. There's lots of different things we could get into discussion here, but let's see what he does with it. And so the scripture can apply to the Jew, the scripture can apply to the Gentile, the scripture can apply to uh, the church of God. This is where a lot of people make their mistake. They take Israel to be the church and the church to be Israel, or they say that the church is Israel today, when in actual fact that's not true. The scripture is meant to be to the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. We know that back in uh, the history of the word of God, 
the Jewish nation did not come into being until God called Abraham as a special person to raise up a nation through Isaac and Jacob. And so in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32 says, um, Give not offence neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God. Three groups of people spoken of within the Scripture. So it's important to realise that when you go into the Scriptures, there's different groups of people to whom it speaks. So you've got to apply the right Scripture to the right group of people. You cannot take uh, things from certain parts of the Scripture and apply them to the Church when it actually applies to Israel. Now, we look at the Scripture and we know that the Bible's broken into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's, that's very important. If, if, if this is your fundamental premise, if you start here, hey, wait, there's some Scriptures, that's for Israel. That's not for the church. That's for Israel. That's not for the Gentiles. Now, this is what leads to absolutely irreconcilable differences and conclusions. Because some people are like, no, 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 no. The church is the Israel. So those passages there that seem to be for Israel, that's actually promises for the church. And those curses, well, that's not for the church. That's for actual Israel. Then we get into all of these discussions. So this, many people would point right here in the New Testament, these three are distinct there is a distinction. What goes to Israel is for Israel. What goes for the Gentiles are for the Gentiles. And what goes to the church is the church. And they are separate. And we have to learn how to apply these scriptures in a correct way, noting these differences and maintaining these distinctions to some level. Some will be like, absolutely, you cannot do that. That's wrong. You group them all together in the church. But wait a minute. Clearly, there's some passages that seem specifically for Israel because those promises are for Israel. And if you try to make them promises for the church, well, then not only have you now changed who the promise was originally given to, almost inevitably, you then make the promise spiritual and not literal. So you say it's no longer Israel, it's the church, it's no longer land, it's something else. And then this starts leading to major divergent conclusions. And again, the premise is, how are you handling these scriptures? 66 books and of course there's 39 in the Old Testament 27 in the New Testament and they are made up of history and poetry and so on I won't get into all of that because of the time factor but as we look at the Word of God as you read the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation you go over that more and more you become more and more familiar with the Word of God and you'll find that certain things belong in certain places and as we read through the scripture, the Bible tells us that we are to apply the literal interpretation by line upon line, uh, scripture upon scripture, here a little, there a little, and what Paul said was rightly dividing the word of truth. So let me uh, remind you that the scripture is to be interpreted simply. Uh, modern scholarship thinks that complexity is the right way to go. But see, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. Uh, one of the things we were taught as young preachers, and you've heard it before, no doubt, is to keep the KISS principle. K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, so keep it uh, on a simple plane where people can understand what you were talking about. And so we've tried to do that down through the years to keep it simple, to keep it plain, not with the wisdom of man's words or with the philosophy of man, but simply what the Word of God teaches. So 2 Corinthians, we'll look in chapter 11, look at uh, verse 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and 4. 
But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So we look at this here, the phrase is the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom you have not pre- we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. So as you look at this here, Paul says, we don't want you to be taken by the subtlety of Satan away from the simplicity that is in Christ. For back in uh, the first century when that was written, Paul said, Beware of him who preaches another Jesus. Beware that you don't receive another spirit. And he talks about another gospel. So back in the first century, there was the misinterpretation of Scripture where there was another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, and so much more that Paul writes about. So the literal interpretation of Scripture, reading it and applying it the way God meant it to be read, makes it simple to understand. Now, I do agree with this principle, but let me make let me make a, a, some some add some layers to this. Let me maybe add a little bit to this, right? I think there's some some we, there's some layers here. There's some some nuances here that we need to consider. All right, I do believe that some hermeneutical systems so complicate things that they become absolute. It just becomes absurd and ridiculous, right? Let me give you an example. So well, I'm going to go back to the Israel situation, right? Because this is just a, a, a major divert. This is a major issue that divides a lot of Christianity. Okay, so you come along and you say, okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Israel doesn't always mean Israel because sometimes that's the church. And when you see these promises about land and this and this and this, those are not literal promises. Though when it says they're going to be restored to the land and the temple's going to be there and this is going to happen and no, 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 none of that is literal. That's all going to be fulfilled in the church in a spiritual way. And you say, but wait a minute, when it gives promises here about captivity or Babylon, okay, that's literal. So wait a minute. So sometimes it's literal, sometimes it's not literal, and you get to tell me when it's literal and when it's not literal, and that's not keeping it simple. That's making it convoluted and 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 crazy and a mess, right? It's like when you're arguing with someone maybe who's a Presbyterian or someone who they're going to argue infant baptism, like it's right there in the scripture, and you're like, infant baptism is right there in the scripture. <laughs> I got scripture after scripture where it either shows me someone being baptized and I don't see where, well, you see that, that one passage right there says household. Of course there's a baby. That's not keeping it simple. Now you're just basing things off assumption. You're like, that's, that's not helpful. So I do believe in the principle of keeping it simple because sometimes we so overcomplicate it and, and make it more convoluted. So here's what we always try to do. What seems to be the simple, clear understanding of this path? There may be a million things we don't understand, but we try to at least say, what is the, what, what's clear here? Now, at the same time, that does not mean that we ignore the complexities and the nuances and the layers that some of these scriptures have that seem com- com- confusing. We try to figure out what's clear, and then we acknowledge the complexity and the difficulty and how convoluted it can be at times, and then try to figure that out. But we maintain, like, here's what's clear. So we we go with an interpreta- an interpretive principle 
that at least, at least tries to keep it simple and can give us something that is clear, then once we've got our footing on what is clear, then we can walk out there into the deep and try to figure out some of these things. We're like, well, wait a minute, what's going on? This makes no sense. So I, I, I believe in keeping it simple. Once I've got that foundation, then launching out into the deep and trying to figure out what to do. And once we find find ourselves drowning and we are confused, we can swim right back to the shore and go, okay, we at least know this. So I do agree. And I believe the literal interpretation in many cases does help you keep it simple because the allegorical spiritualizing. <laughs> no, no, no. That prophecy is literal. No, no, no. That's spiritual. No, that's Israel. No, that's not Israel. No, that's land. No, that's not land. Wait, what? what? What is happening here? All right. So, um, I, I think uh, I think that is a good principle. Let's see where else they go with this. Peter said in Second Peter chapter one and verse twenty, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So as to take God's word for what it says without putting somebody else's spin on it, just simply believing God's word. Now I know that some people have difficulty with certain parts of the Word of God. And even the Apostle Peter said that uh, in his writings, he said in uh, 2 Peter 3, verse, uh, yeah, chapter 3, in verse 15 he says, uh, we'll go to verse 16, also in all his epistles, referring to Paul, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to be understood, uh, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye being led away um, with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So the Apostle Peter said, there's some things, Paul, I had difficulty understanding. He said, so beware that you don't fall into the trap of being led away by your own um, foolishness by misinterpreting the Scriptures. I think the main thing is to realize there are things in Scripture that are hard to understand. He's quoting 2 Peter 3.16 there. As in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, speaking in, uh, in them of things, of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or wrestle as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. There are things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. It's one of the things I cannot stand. So many times preachers do this. We're going to be looking at Revelation. So many people think it's hard to understand. It's really quite simple. Hey, this section people think is so hard. Really, it's not at that hard. And it's either like, are you trying to make yourself look better? Are you trying to convince the people that it's simpler than it is? Just be honest. Hey, guys, we're coming to a section that's absolutely hard to understand, and I don't know if even I have it figured out. Here's what we need to do. Let's not wrestle it to our own destruction. So we're going to try to find out what we do know and acknowledge what we don't know. But pastors love to say, so many people think this is complicated, but it really is simple if you'll just, and it's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. 2,000 years of church history shows it's not always so simple, but sometimes we can try to grab on keeping the main thing simple and acknowledging all the things we do not understand. Let's interpret the scripture uh, literally 
uh, and we'll use some basic principles that I'll introduce to you uh, to try and condense this down for you. 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul wrote and said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's rightly divide the word of truth by applying uh, the literal interpretation of Scripture and let's steer clear of spiritualization, allegorization, for that can lead to error. Now, I know that there is language in the Bible that is typology, symbology. I know there is metaphoric language, parabolic language, literal language, and I know there's so much in there that needs to be understood from the literal point of view because the Scripture does interpret itself. Paul also wrote in Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now you can go back through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the whole lot, Old and New Testament, contains so much instruction in there about so many things, and so it can all be used uh, to teach us so many things because it's given by inspiration, it's profitable for doctrine, for proof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so it covers all of that. And so as we apply these scriptures literally, we can build doctrine from all these things. For example, the doctrine of God. Where do we start? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. And so you can go all through the scriptures and you can build doctrine from the scriptures. But you cannot violate the scriptures by taking scriptures out of context and applying them to the church where they're actually applying to the children of Israel or to the Gentiles themselves. Now, he's really emphasizing that, okay? I, w I would like for him to start articulating the principles. He's kind of throwing out principles, but hopefully he'll kind of outline this and structure this where we can grab some real principles. His main principle is, hey, look, when you apply Scripture— Apply what belongs to the Jews, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, and to the church, to the church. I would say this. When you read the scripture, apply it to who it is about and be very careful what you do with it. It may be profitable to us to some level, but you've got to make sure it's directly applied to who it is to. Keep it simple. Hey, if it's a promise to those coming out of Babylonian captivity, then the promise is for those coming out of Babylonian captivity. If it's a promise for Israel, then it's a promise for Israel. Be careful to go grab onto something that's not yours. One of the things that drives me crazy is when people talk about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. That is to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It literally says that. And people just ignore them. It's about the church. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at all the promises connected with the new covenant. It's, it talks about land. It that's to Israel. Now, we are grafted in, but those promises to the new covenant are primarily to Israel. So we got to be very careful what we do with that. And we, and if you go back and look at our, uh, and listen to our study on the book of Jeremiah, I know we're not done yet. We spent a considerable amount of time talking about some of these issues with the new covenant and how people just apply it to whomever they no it it clearly says who it was to how why do we forget that all right so that his main emphasis here is applying it now he's throwing out some of these other ideas but let's see let's see what he uh well let's just see where he goes with this we can see the book of galatians talks about the jews and the gentiles and there were two different groups 
but they are being integrated into one entity called the church because the Lord Jesus Christ broke down that middle wall of partition to bring both into one. But yet Paul refers to the Jews and he refers to the Gentiles and they can become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Three entities spoken of there being integrated into one but only through uh, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ now, when he talks about the three being instituted into one, again, how, how do we understand that? How do we under, are they instituted to one at the total obliteration of now, now the, the Jews are no more and it's just the church? Some will say yes, some say no. This leads, I think, different premises are going to lead to irreconcilable conclusions. So, you know, he's not, some of these things he's throwing out, he's not really. I'm like, see, that's why I could never be a teacher <laughs> in any school where you give me a limited amount of time because I'd be like, we're going to spend six months working on this. And he's just flying through some of these concepts. But we're going to we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll just I'm just curious where this is going to go. Christ said over in Matthew 22 and verse 29, when he was talking to his own people, this is what he said. Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err or err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And so the teachers, the Bible teachers of Jesus' day, they made errors. They uh, taught wrong doctrine because they misinterpreted the Old Testament. They did not see what they should have seen. And he said, you do err not knowing the scriptures. Look at when Jesus witnessed to Nicodemus. And of course he talked about being born again and the Lord Jesus explained to him about the wind in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus asked the question in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus said unto him, uh, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? You're a teacher, a master teacher, and you don't know these things? And we know that God uses the simple things of the world to confound the wise and the wind is just one of those. When people tell me, I don't believe in things I can't see, I say, is that right? I said, have you ever seen the wind? Well, no, it doesn't exist. Well, yes, it does. Well, how do you know it exists? Because you can feel it. Exactly. The Bible says the invisible things of the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So Nicodemus was a master in Israel, and Jesus said, if I've told you earthly things in verse 12... He said, how should you believe or tell of, tell of heavenly things? He said also, no man hath ascended up to heaven, save he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. If you look at that verse there, verse 13, Jesus was on the earth talking to Nicodemus, and uh, Nicodemus was on the earth, and Jesus said, the Son of Man in heaven. So as you take the scripture here, it shows you that Jesus was not only on the earth, bodily, physically, but the Son of Man was also in heaven in the presence of God Almighty. And this is all a part of great is the mystery of godliness, the incarnation, and God wrapped in human flesh. As you move on down a little bit further also, Jesus used that illustration to, to Moses from the book of Numbers. He says, We would have to do some work on exactly what he's saying there about Jesus and how that would work in the incarnation. Um, but... Well, the key here, we're going to see how he's, what he's going to do with this literal approach. Is it, so we would have to do some work on that. Ugh, kind of want to stop, but let's, we'll, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep going. We'll, we'll keep, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the Lord Jesus Christ used a biblical illustration of the serpent on the pole which represented the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. We know that because Jesus referred back to that and showed how that the scripture uh, illustrates biblical truth even uh, in the future. It's called pre-written history. In uh, Matthew 21 and verse 16, they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto yea, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou, thou hast perfected praise. So Jesus said, haven't you ever read in the scriptures this? Do you not err not knowing the scriptures? And over and over he said in Matthew 21, 42, did you never read? In the scriptures, Mark 2.25, have you never read what David did? And so he's illustrating to them, hey, if you'd have read your Bible, you'd have known what I was doing was already referred to over there in the Old Testament. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he was on the road to Emmaus, hidden himself from these two disciples, but explaining to them about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, beginning at Moses... That's Genesis. And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So if you go from Genesis through to Malachi, Jesus explained every verse in the Old Testament there that made reference to him, to his own disciples. Every scripture the Bible says it must have been a long Bible study. And then he revealed himself to them. They realized who he was. Every scripture that was about him, not everyone from Genesis to Malachi, everyone in those passages that are about Jesus, because some people take that to say the every verse in the Old Testament is about Jesus. No, there are verses in that in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And he started with the old with the books of Moses and then from them and the rest of the Old Testament, he expounded those scriptures that were about him. So, again, I just think that's very important. But, okay, I'm still, okay, where are these principles he wants to give gives us? I'm still waiting to, to get there. Let's see if we can, how far we can get in this. was. And so, if you read through the scripture, you find here that so much is said in the scriptures that uh, can be just literally interpreted for what it says without putting some other spin on it. And if you don't understand it uh, in its literal sense, there's got to be a literal meaning somewhere else in the scripture. For example, Matthew chapter 13, where it talks about the parables. Jesus interprets those parables in that same chapter. It says the birds of the air, they represent this. The seed represents the word of God. The world, okay, the field is the world. Uh, The birds of the air, they represent Satan, the wicked one stealing the word of God. And so the scripture interprets itself in the book of Revelation, the book of Zechariah, and other Old Testament uh, books as well can uh, tell us imagery that's used in those Old Testament books match up with what's in the book of Revelation. Uh, You talk about the stars and you talk about the candlesticks. Uh, Even over there in Revelation in the New Testament, uh, John was told these candlesticks represent this. And so as you go through the Word of God, uh, it's literally interpreted uh, for what it says. And uh, if there's 
No interpretation right there on that particular verse or page. It will be somewhere else in that scripture or somewhere else in that book or somewhere else back in another book of the Bible. So this takes us down to interpretation of scripture. The literal interpretation of the scripture. Three principles. Okay. Let me give you what it says over in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. This is in the Old Testament. The children of Israel have come back. Uh, from, or some of them have come back from captivity. And if you look at the, uh, the scripture, putting the scripture in the right place is important as well. Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther are called post-exilic books, or they were post-exile after the children of Israel were in captivity for 70 years in uh, Babylon. In Nehemiah chapter 8, if you look on down into verse 8 with me, it says here, when they stood up to uh, interpret the scripture, it says, So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So when the word of God was read here in Nehemiah chapter 8, it was read in the book of the law of God distinctly, clearly, and gave the sense and cause them to understand the reading. And that's what we do in Bible study. That's what we do in biblical preaching. We try to make uh, it understandable with a common, simple uh, sense and meaning to you so that people and you can understand the Word of God. We apply these principles as preachers so we too can understand them simply for what they say. For example, uh, the three principles in literal interpretation... Uh, the agreement principle, the context principle, and the ethnic principle. Now, the agreement principle is simply the scripture has to agree. The doctrine has to Okay, so three principles in literal interpretation. The agreement principle, right, the context principle, and I believe the ethical principle are the three he gave. I know he just gave them, and I just wrote them down, but now trying to read what I wrote. I can't read what I just wrote down because that looks like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. Okay, but it's the agreement principle. It's the context principle. It has to be context. And then the ethical. The ethical is interesting. Now, the first one's agreement is that whatever the literal interpretation, the, the, this idea is it would have to agree with the rest of scripture. In other words, this sets forth a basically a presupposition, basically a premise, one of those premises that the scripture cannot contradict itself. So it always has to be an agreement. So if your interpretation leads to a conclusion that's not in agreement with the rest of scripture, then your interpretation is wrong. That's typically how this is taught. Let's see how he teaches it. Let's see if that's the direction he goes. Let's, let's listen. To Greek consistently throughout the word of God. If you cannot get it to agree or it doesn't agree or there's disagreement uh, on this particular portion of scripture, then you have to go back and start again and get it to the point where there is agreement. If there's no agreement there, then you cannot use it. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. Just bear with me while I turn here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things 
with spiritual. So it's comparing spiritual with spiritual to get the agreement principle. Go over to the book of... Now, I would challenge you. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 13. All right. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's always used as this teaches the principle that you compare scripture with scripture. I, I would like you to spend some time on 1 Corinthians 2. We're not going to do it now. Maybe we'll find a way to you know do something with this on the podcast at some point. Is that really what that's trying to say? I mean, I've been taught that my whole life. But I, I don't know if, it, if it's as clear as it is. Now, now the basic premise here, though, whether we use 1 Corinthians 2.13 or not, is this, that when you, when you use the literal, this is a principle of literal interpretation, I think, I think I, you would think people even using the allegorical would use the same principle, you would think. I think, I, think, I think a lot of people use this principle, but it's a basic principle of hermeneutics. If you come to a conclusion... Right? Whatever your conclusion is, how does that fit? How does that compare with the rest of the Bible? Are, in other words, and I think, does your, does your interpretation of this passage contradict how you interpret another passage? I think in some cases there should be agreement with the rest of the Bible, and it should be in agreement somehow with the, with your method of interpreting other passages. If you interpret something one way, and then in the same book, you interpret something another way. Why are you using two different ways of interpreting the Bible? I think the agreement idea is just the, is a challenging you. Hey, does your interpretation agree with the rest of scripture? And does your interpretation agree with how you typically interpret things elsewhere? Now he's not mentioned that, but I think it's very important that that's happened. I've had people, that's not Israel. That's not land. But then, Two, chap- two chapters before they start saying that, it's actual Israel, it's actual land, it's an actual virgin, it's actual Bethlehem. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How did that all become literal and this not? How did you change? You don't even agree with the same method. Well, well, I mean, it, because the passage, and then they can't really articulate why. So the agreement principle is, do you agree? Does your interpretation agree with the rest of scripture? And do you, are you agreeing with your method of interpretation elsewhere? I think that's a good way of putting it. I know I went above and beyond what he gave, but, you know, just just write the principle down and, and just give it some thought. Of Isaiah chapter 28, a moment, if you would, please. Isaiah 28. So the biblical principle is to uh, rightly divide the word of truth. So Isaiah chapter 28, look down into verse 10. It says, or look at verse 9, it says, Who shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. The Bible talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. So we start off with new converts, start them on the milk of the word so they can understand the simple things so they can go to uh, more instructive scriptures later on as they grow. It says in verse 10, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. So it's taking the scripture and applying it little bit by little bit to the agreement principle so that when you do um, the literal interpretation of scripture, the scriptures have got to agree uh, that you're trying to preach and teach if you're. What is that sound in the background? 
Is that a bird? <laughs> Are they outside? Like, I don't know. I, 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 do, does, does people in Australia have church outside? What is that? Is that a bird? I don't know. I don't know. See, now you see why anytime there's a sound in the background here, I always stop to explain it. See, because I'm trying to listen to him talk about Isaiah 29, and all I can think is, what is that sound in the background? See, some people tell me, why do you always stop and tell me there's someone cutting your grass or there's someone hammering? or why? Because at least for me, when I'm listening and I hear some sound like in the background, I'm like, like I'm picturing he's got a bird on his shoulder or there's a, there's a parrot and a cage behind. Like, I don't, are they on a ship? Like, what is, is, is he a pirate? Like, all of a sudden my brain just goes crazy. Oh, come on. I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one. See, and I, I, I keep doing this. I've got a piece of paper. I keep just tapping it on the, and then I realize, wait a minute. I, I think, I think uh, that's probably distracting people. So I, I'm, I'm just aware of that, but I digress. Okay, so the agreement principle, it has to be in agreement. I, I'm going to take the agreement principle and break it down into two parts. Does your interpretive method agree with how you've used uh, your, your method you've used in other passages, right? Are you in agreement with the way you typically interpret the Bible? And then secondly, does your interpretation agree with the rest of Scripture? All right, let's continue. Training to be a preacher, make sure that you're using verses of scripture that are in agreement with the message and you're not going to get the contradiction somewhere else because you're preaching something that's contradicting to the word of God. And believe it or not, I've seen preachers do that by preaching allegorical messages or spiritualizing messages because they'll preach one thing here and they'll preach another message next week and you find that something they say here contradicts what they said here. So that's why it's uh, best and the only way is to stick with the scripture literally by using the uh, three principles the agreement principle the context principle and the ethnic principle okay the in the context principle the verse chapter and books must agree the third one is not ethical it's ethnic not ethical ethnic ethnic principle i put ethical all right. Ethnic. I think I know where he's going to go. Ethnic means, is it for the Jew? Is it for the Gentile? Is it for the church? I think that's where he's going to go with here. All right. But the agreement. Now, I would argue the reason you've heard pastors who, well, this interpretation contradicted the last interpretation is because they're not in, they're not utilizing the same hermeneutical principle. They're contradicting their own. They're not in agreement with their hermeneutical principle because I've seen people do that. You're in Isaiah, you're in Jeremiah, and they're like, that, that, like in, in one section, that's a literal prophecy that will be literally fulfilled. Jesus will literally do that. And then this will be like, no, 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 that's spiritually fulfilled. And that's a, and one, and one section, it's literal Israel, literal church, or literal Israel, literal nation, literal judgment, literal destruction. And then the next, it's not little, literal Israel, it's the church. And it's like, well, what just happened? They're not, they're not, they're not in agreement with their own hermeneutical method. That's pro- part of the problem. And then in many cases, they uh, create an interpretation that's not in agreement with the rest of Scripture. So make sure that agreement principle, really, really think about that agreement principle and make sure you're doing that because we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of violating it. Sometimes we're not in agreement with our own hermeneutical system. And sometimes we come to a conclusion that's not in agreement with the rest of Scripture. Right Now, the next one is the context uh, principle. or the, uh, And let's see how he's going to use this one. Okay, so don't take something out of context. 
let me give you an example. You can build a doctrine uh, by taking verses out of Scripture. For example, uh, this is something I studied years ago. Someone said, Judas went out and hung himself. That's what one verse of Scripture says. Another verse says, go and do thou likewise. Now, you see, you could not build that doctrine because it's not right. It's not true. Uh, number one, it's a violation of Scripture. It's not uh, in agreement and certainly out of context. So everything has to be in context. Now, there are verses you can lift out of the Scriptures out of context and use them. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in the book of Acts. Nothing wrong with doing that because that's a biblical fact, that's a biblical truth. But by taking verses out of Scripture or out of context in Scripture to build some stupid doctrine or some isolated doctrine that no one's ever come up with before, it's just a violation of the agreement principle. Now, I, I would just say, I, you, I, when he says you can lift some verses out of context, I don't like that. No, you interpret them in their context, and then you determine if the context is just simply descriptive or is it prescriptive. In other words, it's just simply describing something that's not prescribing anything for us, or is it prescribing something that's for everyone, and then how do we apply it? You don't ever really lift it out of its context. You always leave it in its context, but then you say, okay, this is prescribing something be beyond its initial context and it's applicable to us and in, in the following ways. So, but I was still want to leave it in its context, if that makes sense. I know what he's trying to say. I just don't like to, I don't want to ever say you can ever lift it out of context. Now you leave it in its context. You can take maybe a principle that is prescriptive and that is applicable to us. That That's the issue there. All right and the context principle of scripture. Also, you've got to find that the context principle not only carries through in the New Testament, but also into the Old Testament. You'll find there are things in the Old Testament that will help you to understand the New Testament and vice versa. For example, the book of Leviticus. By reading the book of uh, Hebrews, you have a better understanding of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. The imagery that's used over there in those books is better understood by what's explained in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is, is a great book. It's my favorite book. And the book of Hebrews, the key word in Hebrews is the word better. And if you go down there, we have uh, a better understanding. I mean, we've got a... I would say, I would say the key word in Hebrews is a, is a word or words not used in Hebrews. It's 70 AD, but I, di I digress. Now, when we go with the, uh, the context principle, always remember you have, you have textual context, you have cultural context, and you have historical context. Don't forget all of those additional contexts. You have textual context, cultural context, and historical context. All right. Some things may be very limited to the culture. And then you have the history. What is going on at the time? What is happening? Right? You can, you, you can have the recipient context. Who is it originally to? There, there's, there are a lot of different things we could talk about context there. But okay. All right. Let, let's continue. Uh, a better covenant established upon better promises. And so we've got a better covenant. Uh, the Old Testament contained the New Testament, but it was hidden away. And it wasn't revealed until later on when the Lord Jesus died and rose again and revealed so many of these mysteries to his disciples like Peter and Paul. And so the scripture is very clear on this, understanding the scripture, understanding it literally, simply by using the agreement principle, 
the context principle and the ethnic principle. Now, the ethnic principle is simply applying the scriptures to whom they are meant. Okay? Back in the book of... So the ethnic principles, applying scriptures to who they were meant, okay? You call this ethnic, you could call this the recipient principle. Who was the text written to, and what did it mean to them in their original context, right? You could also put, so they're going to separate this from the context principle, and that's okay. We'll call it, the, he calls it the ethnic, I don't know if I, that, yeah, I, I, I like the recipient principle. Who was it written to? Who was it for? Like, that's a promise for those coming out of Babylonian captivity. Not for me. That was specifically for them in this context or this. Who, who was it to? And understanding that sometimes is very important because then you have to ask yourself, wait a minute. Is there anything? Is that prescribing anything for me or describing what happened to them? And then we get into some of those other issues. All right. But let, let's see how he handles what he calls the ethnic principle. Genesis, we know that it covered the whole world back there from uh, Genesis 1 through Genesis 6. And then Genesis 6 through uh, Genesis 11, where again, we see the whole world. But then, of course, when we get to chapter 12, God says, I'm going to take one man, I'm going to build a nation out of him. And that, of course, was Abraham. And so God was going to build a nation called Israel out of the loins of Abraham. And so... As you read through the scriptures, you've got to apply the scripture to whom scripture is due. You cannot just take uh, books uh, of the Old Testament and apply them to the church. Now, there are principles within so many of the books of the Old Testament that we can uh, take and teach principles and doctrine from those, such as the book of Proverbs, such as the book of Psalms. But some of these uh, translations of the scripture or the printings of the scriptures, published of the scriptures, sometimes they've got listed on the pages of the Old Testament. This applies to the church, when in actual fact it doesn't. So be wary of that. Just because the chapter headings and the page headings say, this is the church, it's not the church. So just be wary of that, because some of these people that printed these Bibles uh, came from that position where they uh, allegorically or symbolically uh, translated, or if you like, interpret the scripture to fit, fit their ideology. And so we want you to understand, not only is the uh, three principles there of literal interpretation, it paints a giant picture, here a little, there a little, and you say, oh, that fits there, and that fits there. And so as you read through the word of God and become familiar with it, uh, according to the chart that I just showed you, if you begin to read through it and become familiar with it, you say, oh, now I see what that means and where that goes. And so even in the days when the Lord Jesus walked this earth, see, the common people heard him gladly. Why? Because he kept it simple. He did not try to make it complex. He did not try to make it complicated. And so they were able to join the dots together. And so the common people, they'd been taught about the Messiah. When he cometh, like the woman at the well of Samaria, I mean, she wasn't even a Jew, but she'd heard about the Messiah coming, and when he cometh, he'll do this and this and this. Well, you know, the common people heard him gladly in Israel and they were able to say, you know, I believe this is the Messiah that we were taught about by these teachers. And the teachers actually rejected uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about this, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ came, was fulfilling the scriptures and many people were able to see that for themselves uh, because he was fulfilling scripture in what he did and what he said. He said, the works that I do 
they speak of who I am. So when you look at the uh, literal interpretation of Scripture, there's simple Bible study. Just read it and believe it simply for what it says. Book studies. Study a book of the Bible, whether it's the book of Genesis or whether it's the book of Revelation. There will be some things that will be hard to be understood, so I would say go to the simplest ones first so that you get a great understanding of those. One of the things I teach people is the book of 1 John is a great book for people who just got saved. Now, the word know, K-N-O-W, and words related to that, it's used over 30 times in the book of 1 John. So God's telling us in the book of 1 John, there's some things he wants us to know. So get into the book of 1 John, have a look at uh, the word know and words related to that. And Now, the only problem I have there, if you think 1 John is simple... You're out, of, you're out of your mind. And maybe the word no is used because it's a polemic against Gnosticism where they believe they had secret knowledge. And maybe First John is trying to protect people from Gnosticism. And maybe, maybe it, and maybe it deals with like, you know, yeah, we could go all day. The, 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 the problems with First John. Uh, look, I was taught that too. Hey, it's a simple book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah, never mind. Let's just see where else he goes. There's so I don't want to turn this into a whole issue about First John because we've covered that and talked about it so much. But man, there's nothing simple about that book. All right, here we go. I'll tell you what God wants you to know and wants me to know. And if you'll just read that for what it says, it's an education just reading the book of First John. Now, I took, taught the book of Proverbs. And uh, I said, if you have a look at my Bible here later on, You'll see it took me three years to teach the book of Proverbs because there were no commentaries on Proverbs, so I had to get in and dig in and find the meanings to the words. And so it's important to understand. There were no commentaries on the book of Proverbs? What year was this made? There's always been commentaries on Proverbs my entire Christian life. I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand Look, I don't know what, maybe not in Australia. I don't know what's going on in Australia. I have no clue. Okay. I don't know, man. There's like, there's like commentaries everywhere on Proverbs. Right? Like, what, what do you mean there was no commentary on Proverbs? I like, I, there's been a bazillion books written on Proverbs. There's notes, outlines, commentaries. Okay. I, yeah. I don't know what that means. All right. Let's continue. And, and read the meaning of words. And of course, there are tools that you can use for that. And you have to be careful of some of the tools. Uh, there are uh, handbooks, there are dictionaries, there are concordances. But I'd uh, warn you off some of those uh, for the time being until you begin to get grounded in the Word of God, literally reading it for what it says before you start getting into the meanings. But if you get down to it, there's Bible study, simple studies, book studies, specific studies, chapter studies, and in-depth studies. There are paragraphs, verses, words, topics. There's so much. It's just a wide variety of what we can study and what we can read about. But if you do it from the literal sense, it's much easier to understand it from God's point of view. Doctoral study, biographical study of the life of Paul, the life of Peter, the life of Moses, the life of David. Theological study, talking about doctrines, parallels and contrasts, and there's plenty of those. Prophecy, uh, parables and types and shadows. The Bible's full of them. And yet we have to be sure that we don't violate Scripture 
by interpreting these things in the right way. So just remember there is the grammatical, historical, the literal interpretation, okay? Grammatical, that's words, sentence structures and phrases. And there are many, many words. Like, for example, let me give you this. God's Word. All right, we'll stop right there. You may want to write down the word grammatical, literal, historical, or grammatical, historical, literal. Grammatical, literal, historical, I think is the way it's typically written. I think that's the way he said it. And we'll stop right there. Uh, because we're already at 74 minutes, and this was supposed to be like 30 minutes long because that's about as long as I thought I could go. But here we go. The only problem now is I want to finish it, but yeah, we, we, we won't. All right, so here we go. I'm going to put minus 1640. That's where we stop. We'll, I'll listen and see if there's any more. I may, I may if, if all of a sudden you don't get a part two on this, well, you can go listen to the rest for yourself. Um, I, those three principles he gave us, agreement principle, a context principle, and ethnic principle, I think are very interesting and very beneficial. And uh, hopefully you will learn from that. And remember, these hermeneutical principles, these are the premise, which you will then interpret scripture and the premise that, that that's, that's all the disagreements comes down to which premise you are using. Okay. Now, I would challenge you once again on the Sermons 2.0 app. The Sermons 2.0 app, look up, if I can find them right here, look up Shining Light Independent Baptist Church, Shining Light Independent Baptist Church in, in Tannum, T-A-N-N-U-M, Tannum Sands, Queensland. Tannum Sands, Queensland. And I'm hopefully, I'm probably saying all of that incorrect for those from Australia who listen to us, and I know we have some from Australia I'm from Texas, so you, you know what? However I say it is correct, right? I know you think you're big because you're Australia. Texas is bigger, right? Okay, no, I'm, 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 I'm joking. Okay, here we go. So so there you have it, all right? Uh, it's uh, the Tasman. It's, it looks like, yeah, I'm looking at a map. You, you can look at it yourself. But uh, they are an independent Baptist church. Um, follow them. Look up their two... A series that I want you to focus on is the Bible Institute training and dispensation through the Bible uh, series. Those are the two series and uh, listen to them. You can go finish that. You can finish, you can fast forward that uh, and uh, finish it. Listen, listen to the part two of the literal interpretation of the Bible. We may borrow some, uh, some of it. If uh, I may listen to the rest and then pick which part I want. I don't, we may just, you know what, at this part point, we'll just review the rest tomorrow. We'll make it maybe the first thing I do tomorrow is, is we'll just finish this up. And I think it will be beneficial. All right, there you have it. And because of them, we're going to be working on a series on dispensationalism. We will, and we will be doing that soon. We got to finish Jeremiah, all right? So maybe their fall study may be on dispensationalism, maybe. And then we'll throw in some other stuff uh, using the Bible study guide from Lifeway that we use. And I don't know, we've got a million other things to do. We'll, 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 we'll make it all work. All right. In the meantime, you've got a lot to work on there, a lot to think about, and uh there you go. I'll end with quoting how I, I'll end with what I started with. That's always a good way to, to circle back. When godly men disagree about doctrine, it is usually due to the fundamental difference in premise. Perfect logic, when built on divergent premises, will usually result in irreconcilable conclusions.
right? The premise that determines everything for us when it comes to Bible interpretation and doctrine is the hermeneutical premise that we're utilizing. What is your premise? You got to be able to articulate exactly what your hermeneutical system is. Different hermeneutical systems, there's no point in arguing uh, doctrine. We're not coming from the same premise, so we're not going to get anywhere. All right, we're going to have irreconcilable differences, all right? All right, thanks for listening. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and we will finish this. Maybe give me 12, 14 hours. Let me get some sleep, and then we'll be back, and we'll work on this again tomorrow. And then hopefully, if everything works right, tomorrow evening, it'll be Wednesday, Victory Baptist Church, 7 p.m. Central Time. We'll be in Jeremiah doing something, so make sure you tune in. Thanks for listening. God bless.